I'd like to invite you to please open it to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. And as we're making this transition, we're also going to be dismissing for our children's worship. Uh, Miss Amy is making her way to this door uh, to your right right now. She's hurrying as quickly as she can. So if you have pre-registered for children's worship, you can be dismissed at this time. And Miss Amy will lead you to that time. So Psalm 100 will be our text this morning. As you're turning there, um, I wanted to share with you just I don't know, a word of thanksgiving. Every Saturday night I ask Jody what we can share with the church, what prayer requests or praises. And last night we were both in agreement that we just wanted to share a word of thanksgiving. Not just that Emma has been doing well for the last three weeks, but just thankful for prayers, for encouragement, for friendship, for knowing that God is at work in all things. So this morning, we just give a thanksgiving to God for the great things that He is doing. And I hope that that will be your attitude, no matter what adversity you may be facing in life. This morning, we'll be in Psalm 100. Over the next few weeks, we are taking a bit of a detour from our study through the Gospel of John. Of course, today, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, we'll be thinking about giving thanks. Starting next Sunday with the beginning of Advent, we're going to turn our attention to the songs of Christmas. Now, I'm not talking about the songs of Little Town of Bethlehem or Come All You Faithful. Instead, we're going to be taking a look at the hymns that are in the New Testament that revolve around the birth of Christ. We'll spend time in the Gospel of Luke as well as in the book of Philippians, taking a look at the songs the early church sang to focus upon Christ. But today we're at Psalm 100. Follow with me as I read these verses. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Bow with me as we pray again. O Lord, this morning we ask for Your Holy Spirit to work within us that we would take this psalm to heart. That we would be a people found to give thanks unto You. And that we would give glory to Your name. Let the truths of these verses take root in our hearts. And bear fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus I pray. And the church said, Amen. I know as a preacher and as many public speakers do, we will often make this statement. The world is divided into two types of people. And then afterward the, the speaker or the preacher may say, well there are optimists and there are pessimists. Or there are the haves and the have-nots. There are the blue-collar workers and the white-collar workers. Well, this morning I wanted to tell you there are two types of people in the world. But if I may add a different quantifier to that. There are those that are aware and those that are unaware. It's a good question to ask, aware of what? And the answer is God's grace. 
You see, there are those who are very aware of the grace of God and those who are unaware of our God's magnificent grace. Those who are unaware are very easy to find. You see, those that are unaware of God's grace are those that are perpetually angry, bitter, upset at the world because they have a sense of entitlement and and when they don't get what they believe they deserve, they are quite frankly just mad. But those who are aware of God's grace are equally identifiable. They are identifiable because they are filled with thanksgiving. Those who know of God's grace are marked by by joy and hope. They walk around not in a cloud of entitlement, but they walk around in the glory of gratitude. Now, as followers of Christ... We have experienced the grace of God. We are aware of God's grace, which means we should be a people that are characterized by thanksgiving. Not just one time a year, but persistently and consistently. Our lives are to be characterized by thankful praise. Now, I know in many ways to use the terms thankful praise, that that seems redundant, doesn't it? But you know you can give praise without being thankful. Many times we can be like the child whose parents are are teaching him to be thankful. And so when Aunt Ethel gives them a Christmas present and they weren't really thrilled about it and the child starts to walk away, what does dad say? Junior, what do you say to your aunt? (sighs) Thank you. That's begrudging praise. That's not a, a joyful thanksgiving. God has not called us just to sigh and say thank you. He has called us for praise that is full of thanksgiving, that is full of passion. Psalm 100 gives expression to that. You'll notice the very title, the prescript of this psalm. It's a psalm for giving thanks. This is a psalm that is given to guide God's people into giving thanks because thanksgiving and joy are woven through this passage like a thread is woven through fabric. You'll notice gladness and singing are mentioned. We are to enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise. We are to give thanks and to bless His name. Now the reason this isn't done begrudgingly or simply by rote is because this psalm gives us the reasons we are to be thankful. If you'd allow me to give just the structure of this psalm. There are six commands that are found in this psalm. They are grouped together in two sets of three. The first three commands are found in verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, and come into His presence. Those three commands are built upon the reason given in verse 3. To know that the Lord, He is God. So there's your reason. Why should we give thanks to God? Because He is the God who made us. Then verse 4 gives the second set of three commands. To enter His gates, to give thanks, and to bless His name. Verse 5 then gives the second foundation for that building of praise because God is good. So the psalmist wants us to engage with thanksgiving not just because we're supposed to, but with an understanding that thanksgiving is the appropriate response to who God is and what He has done. It flows naturally from an experience with God. And that is why that when the church gathers together, thankful praise should fill the air. God's people should be known as a thankful people who are singing and giving praise and glory to God. I say that because the subject of each verb, although it's not written in the text, 
is you. Or to be more specific, it is plural. It is you all. It's a good southern passage. You all make a joyful noise. You all serve the Lord. Y'all come into His presence. This is community. And I would also remind you that the psalm was the songbook of Israel and the early church. The psalms were meant to be sung in community so that when God's people gather, they have before them uh, the lyrics of the praise in which they are to lift to God. Now, I know that it's, it's used by many. The psalms are used for individual quiet times. There's nothing wrong with that. It's part of my daily devotion. I will use a psalm to pray through and to lead me into the presence of God. But that is a secondary application of the psalms. The primary application was to be a guide for God's people when they gather together. And the command when God's people gather together is first of all make a joyful noise. Now this is not a command for those who are tonally impaired or musically challenged like myself. When I have sung and my kids have looked at me when they would sit, be near me in church and they would look at me like a, a cat being put through a grinder, like what is that noise? I would say I'm making a joyful noise. There's more to this verse than just that. That phrase, make a joyful noise, could also be translated, give a jubilant shout. Give a jubilant shout. Let your voice be lifted up in celebration. Now, there are many ways that we express celebration when we see something good. In golf, for example, you may experience the golfer's clap. You've seen that. Golfer's clap. Now, I want you to imagine the other extreme of that. Use your imagination with me for just a moment. Picture Knoxville, Nayland Stadium, 103,000 people clad in orange. The third Saturday in October. And Tennessee has just scored a touchdown in the last seconds to beat Alabama. Like I said, we're using our imagination here. Now, do you think at that moment... Those 103,000 rabid fans clad in orange stand up and go, no. What do they do? Woo! Rocky Top, you'll always be. And they do it loudly. Why? Because they are giving a jubilant shout out of celebration over something good that has happened. That's what the psalm's commanding us to do. Give a jubilant shout, all the people of the earth. Now, many read that phrase, all the earth, and they say, well, you see, the Bible teaches universalism. It teaches that everyone will be saved because all the earth is praising God. That's not the case here. This is not teaching that everyone is saved. In fact, this psalm, Psalm 100, is serving as the conclusion to a section of psalms that focus upon God reigns over all the earth. Psalm 93 to Psalm 100 have one common theme, that God reigns is sovereign over all of creation. And excuse me, this is just putting the cap on the end of that, that the earth will all make a joyful noise unto the Lord. In fact, that is emphasized, as we'll get to in a moment in verse 3, to know that the Lord, He is God. But he's making this point. All creation is and will worship God. Did you know that creation is worshiping God right now? There, there's a field in the area of biology called bioacoustics. It's amazing when you can get that specific. This is a branch of biology that explores the sounds, the vibrations that emanate from all of creation. Every day, you and I are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic sounds that we can't hear. For example, did you know that the electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as the Gregorian chant? 
molecules are chanting right now. That metal arcs have a range of 300 notes. Did you know? Well, and, and there's really no reason for you to know this. That earthworms make faint staccato sounds. Those night crawlers you fish with are going, don't put me on the hook. They're making sounds. The hydrogen atom emits 100 frequencies more than the notes on a grand piano. All creation around us is singing the glory of God. It's humanity that's behind. It's humanity that has not caught up with the sounds of worship that are taking place around us. But that condition is only temporary. All the earth and all of creation will indeed one day praise God. The book of Philippians says that on that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is really that of time. You see, those who bend their knee now and make that confession saying, Jesus is Lord, forgive me, they will on that day make that confession and enjoy the presence of God. But those who wait, who in their obstinate pride refuse to bow down and accept Jesus, will make that confession then, but it will be everlasting too late. They, instead of enjoying the presence of God, will experience the wrath of God. That is why now you and I can serve Him with gladness. We know His grace. The second and third commands are really echoes of one another. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. To serve the Lord means to worship Him. Paul echoes this idea in Romans 12, 1 when he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations say your spiritual act of service. Our worship is viewed as a way that we minister to or serve the Lord. And that idea of service is reinforced by the third command to come into His presence. You and I have an invitation to come into the presence of God. You know, one of the things that we often overlook and fail to give God thanks for is that we can enter into His presence at any time, at any moment. We overlook that my own devotional time, I've been reading through Exodus. Recently I read that passage where Moses and 70 of the elders have gone back up on the mountain to meet with God and God gave them a warning. He said, Moses, tell the people not to touch the mountain, not to let their livestock touch the mountain, lest they be stricken dead. It's not because God was angry, but it's just the very nature of God. Just like it's the nature of electricity to shock, it is the very being of God that if an unholy object is in his presence uncovered by grace that object is killed we take for granted being able to go into the presence of God to be able to bow our heads at work and say Lord you are here with me to bow at home and say Lord you are here with me this invitation is extended to us by God's grace that's why he says come into his presence with gladness and with singing now, this doesn't mean there are not times that we come into His presence with lament. Several of the psalms are lament, songs of grief. A lot of the psalms, they are songs of questions. How long, O Lord? There are indeed times that we will come into the presence of God saying, How long? But those times must be balanced with songs of praise and thanksgiving. If we only lament and we never focus on thanksgiving and gladness, we will fall into despair. 
And if we only focus on gladness and thanksgiving without recognizing lament, we become disconnected from our ministry in this world. Songs of longing must be balanced with songs of adoration. And I'm more and more convinced that it's the songs of adoration that will be our anthem of protest in this world. You see, as this world seems to be spiraling into chaos... When we can stand firmly in that world and lift up our voices to say, praise the Lord, we are making an anthem of protest to the world around us that chaos does not win, that darkness is not final, that our Lord is victorious. You see glimpses of how powerful praise can be. Uh, Even now in Hong Kong, protests have been going on for well over a year against the communist government that is seeking to bring repression to the people. The government reported that there were riots breaking out on the streets, but videos captured by by cameras then published on the internet through YouTube have showed something quite different. What they have shown is this. Students gathering, thousands upon thousands gathering peacefully, marked by singing. And they are singing this song. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah Lord over and over and over again. Praise has become an anthem of protest saying that God is indeed God. Would it be that the church today in America would lift up its voice in praise saying no matter what happens around us we have reason to pray that we will let our hallelujah sound in the midst of hate and it should be that because God has made us His. I draw your attention to verse 3. If you'll allow me to make mention of two words there, you'll notice that in your translations the word Lord is in lower capitalized letters. That's because it's the word Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. In other words, in Exodus 3 when Moses says, Who should I tell them has sent me to bring them out of Egypt? God answered by saying, Tell them Yahweh, I am that I am, has sent you. That's the Lord. But notice it says, Know that the Lord, He is God, that is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's found in Genesis 1 that God, Elohim, said, let there be light, and there was light. Now what the psalmist is doing is this. He is making a theological statement that is contrary to the views of the surrounding cultures of that time. The other cultures said, you have gods that are battling. There's a creator God, a saving God, a warrior God, and they're all fighting it out. Not so. Our God, Yahweh, He is Elohim. There are not two different gods. There is one God who is both creator and savior. And look at what He has done. He has made us. He has created us. The latter part of verse 3 brings two truths together. One, all people belong to God because He is their creator. There is not one person that has been born that God did not knit together in the womb. God is the creator of all, and in that sense, all belong to Him. But then the focus becomes more and more narrow at the end of verse 3. We are His people. Speaking to the people of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, speaking of, of the church, those whom God has called out that belong to Him. He has made us and He has saved us. Therefore, the proper response is to praise Him. That's why verse 4 says then, the right response to salvation is thanksgiving. When he says, enter his gates and enter his courts, it's a reminder we come into the presence of the king. And we are to do so by giving thanks with praise. And that thought is reiterated at the end of verse 4. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. To bless him means to speak excellent things about him. 
It means to come together to say, the Lord, He is God. The Lord is light. The Lord is our healing. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our Redeemer. It is to say things about who God is. And if we feel like we are lacking in that area, verse 5 gives us a script. Why should we bless His name? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. There's one word that can be used to summarize verse 5. It's not found in the text, but it's the canvas on which this verse is painted. It's called covenant. Because God has made a covenant with us in Jesus Christ. A covenant defines a relationship and establishes the boundaries. God has done that. He has said that we are His people through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because we are His, this is how we are to live. Now, the covenant is emphasized with three words. First, the Lord is good. To say that He's good means the Lord is desirable. Worthy of esteem and respect. He is good. Now, I must confess to you that there's one truth that I have struggled with in the last four years in the midst of our challenges and since my daughter's illness is the statement that God is good. And I can't explain the goodness of God, but I've come to firmly believe and hold to this. The challenges and adversity that we face in no way changes who God is. We may not understand the specifics, but it does not change the truth of who he is because if I stop believing that God is good then what hope do I have but because we as Christians can say God is good we know that this one chapter of suffering is not the total book that there's an end that has been written by God that is for his glory and for our good and he is moving us toward that we know that because of the two truths expressed at the end of verse 5 his steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist here is bringing to mind what was said in Exodus 33 and 34. Once again, Moses is on the mountain, but this time he is making intercession for the people of God. And he makes one request of God. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you my glory. Now, we would expect that God would do some magnificent work. That He would maybe create a new animal right there to show His power, but He doesn't do that. He says, Moses, I will make my glory pass before you, my goodness, my steadfast love, and my faithfulness. We are being reminded here that God is true to His covenant. His love, His said, never ends. His faithfulness, which is a word, a Hebrew word that we know even though we're not aware we're saying it. The word faithfulness there is the Hebrew word amet, where we get the word amen. So be it. Amen is a way of saying, God, you are faithful to accomplish what you will do. So we have this security. No matter our circumstances, God love, God's love endures. No matter our circumstances, His faithfulness does not end. He has not and will not abandon us. It is like what Paul wrote, neither height nor depth nor, nor anything, nor peril nor sword nor suffering can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.
Now, it goes without saying that the year 2020 has been a challenging year. It, I kind of chuckle to myself when people say, I can't wait for 2020 to be over with. Like, come January 1st and we turn the calendar page, everything's just going to be rosy all of a sudden. There's still going to be challenges, struggles, ups and downs. That's this fallen world. We have to make the decision as to what we will do in that. We can't indeed become angry. Lord, it's not fair. And become bitter and ungrateful. And in doing so, we will not experience the joy of the Lord. Or we can make the decision to say, Lord, I will take to heart Psalm 100 and I will give thanks. There are two birds. They're very different birds, but they share one thing in common. You have the hummingbird. Teeny tiny Wings can, that can flap a thousand times in a second. And this little tiny hummingbird has the amazing ability to find sweet nectar wherever it may be. It's looking for it and it finds it. On the other hand, there is the buzzard. Do you know what the buzzard finds? Both of them find exactly what they're looking for. What are you looking for? Make up your mind to look for thanksgiving and to give it to God and see the great things that he is doing. Would you bow with me now in prayer again? Oh Lord, we recognize our need for you. We can be overwhelmed so easily, Lord, with life. So bring us back to these great truths that you are good, your steadfast love endures forever, and your faithfulness to all generations. Thank you, Father, for never changing. And grant us grace to live our lives based on that truth. In the name of Jesus, I pray.